Well, I'm excited to get back into our series today called Unbreakable, where we're taking a look at the life of Joseph and knowing how to trust God in the midst of adversity. You know, things are going wrong and they're pressing on you. Sometimes it can be hard to know what's up, down, left, right, to make sense out of chaos. And the life of Joseph gives us a lot, not just a few, but a lot of learning lessons and opportunities to know what to do in different kinds of situations, how we can trust God in the midst of what we don't even fully understand. In week one, we got to know Joseph a little bit. In week two, uh, we saw that he was a dreamer and that his brothers got a little jealous and resentful. We're going to talk about them a little more today. In week three, we saw his success in Potiphar's house, but then we saw his wrongful accusations and how he ends up back in prison again. And then in week four, we see him in prison, uh, God beginning to speak to him, him interpreting dreams for people, even speaking on behalf of the Lord to people. We see God's sovereignty at play, even while he's stuck in prison. And then last week, the whole story flipped. He interprets a dream for Pharaoh, not one, but two dreams, and gets promoted out of prison all the way to a palace where he becomes prime minister of Egypt. All from God's word, all a true story. And last week, I made this statement at the end. We were talking about spiritual growth, and we said, you can't go back. You can't stay where you are. You've got to keep going. And it is true that you can't go back in the past. Living in the past is generally a bad idea. Even if the past was awesome, it can sometimes make you a little resentful. Man, when are the good old days coming back around? When are we going to have that again? When am I going to have that kind of job? When am I going to have that kind of friendship? When am I going to have that kind of Church, okay, I know some of you have some great church experiences. Living in the past can sometimes make it hard for you to accept where you are. Also, the past sometimes is dark for people. How many know when the past is full of, of problems and bitterness and all sorts of things that cause you turmoil? You don't want to live there either. You want to keep on moving. And so it's true, you, you don't want to go back and you really can't live in the past. And in a sense, you can't even really change the past. But how many know sometimes you do have to face it? You do have to face the past. Sometimes things come back around. And now something that happened back then has shown up in a new way and you gotta do something about it. The Bible has some interesting things to say about this, uh, this tough word that starts with an R called retribution. No one really likes retribution, but the Bible says some stuff. And man, in the Old Testament, how many know? You read about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. How many glad we don't live under that anymore? In a new season of grace, right? That's in there. But even though we live in a new covenant, there are some principles, even around the concept of retribution, that still apply. For example, Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And in the story we've been studying, in the case of Joseph's brothers, they've been sowing for a long time. And now reaping day has come. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as we read God's word together. I won't do this to you every week, but we'll do it from time to time. Just to honor God's word in the house. Beginning in Genesis chapter 42, verse one, it says this. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Listen, he went on, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. The sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain, for the famine uh, was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was in charge of the country and he sold grain to all its people. 
His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. And when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, to buy food, they replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered his dreams about them. And he said, you are spies and you have come to see the weakness of the land. No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food, they said. We are all sons of one man. We are honest. Your servants are not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see the weakness of the land. But they replied, we, your servants, were 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no longer living. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And we have fast forwarded just a little bit since last week and nine years has passed by since Joseph became prime minister and everything has and is in a sense unfolding just as he said. So there were seven really good years, great prosperity. And now there are two years into another seven years where the things are going to be very, very bad. Seven lean, very lean years. At this point, Joseph is now 39 years old and a vast famine has gripped the entire Middle East. And back in Canaan, Jacob, he hears that there's food in Egypt. How many like that when the dad said, why are y'all just standing around? You ever been trying to help people? People working and all of a sudden you realize everybody's standing around. Craig said that happens a lot around here. I don't don't know why he said that. I haven't seen that myself, Craig, but why are you standing around? Now he's over here and he's saying, hey guys, Stop standing around. Egypt has food. You should go get us some. And apparently, it's never crossed their mind before that their long lost brother might be the prime minister of Egypt. In fact, they think that he's dead. At this point in time, as you said, they think that he's dead. But he's not. He's still there. And he's still their brother, but he is so much more than that now. God has used his life to promote him, to grow him, to change him, to humble him, to strengthen him. And now he has put him in this great position of power. And they're coming to him not knowing who he is. And it's going to be time to face the music, to face the past and see what might happen next. Now, some people, when they read this story, they're a little bit bothered. Like, man, why did Joseph make him jump through these hoops? And we're going to look at how Joseph tested his brothers this morning. But you know, some folks are like, man, come on, Joseph. I mean, that was 20 years ago. Why don't you just give him the food? Why don't you just help him out? It's all good. I forgive you. You can come have everything I need. Tell Pops I said what's up. Here you go. We're all good. But that's not exactly how things played out. It's not how things played out. Part of the reason why is that sometimes we misunderstand the concept of biblical forgiveness. So we have this idea that forgiveness is all about your heart. And it's true, it is. When you need to extend forgiveness to someone else, it's about your heart. But reconciliation, when a wrong has been done, is about someone else's heart. So you can forgive someone that you can't reconcile with, but you can't reconcile without two people coming with a forgiving heart back to whatever happened so that you can make things right. Oftentimes... Oftentimes, we don't know the condition of hearts, our own hearts even, and certainly not the hearts of other people, until a test shows up and exposes what's in the heart. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we need to go around testing everybody's hearts. That wouldn't be cool. 
John Wimber, founder of the Vineyard, had a great quote that he would say, sometimes God will offend the mind to reveal the heart. I think that's very true. And at the same time, it should not be our mission in life to go around offending everyone we can just to see what's in their heart. And yet when we're the offended party, when something happens, it's wise for us to know. By the way, all of you in this room will be offended again in your life. It's wise to know going in to a time of offense that God may be trying to reveal something in your own heart. Man, this is offending me. I used to uh, teach a class where we would talk about a lot of different things. But in that class, I, I used to ask people, when's the last time that you thanked God for some difficult person in your life? Oftentimes, the answer to that question is never. I don't thank God for difficult people. But it's a good habit to get into because a lot of the times, God puts difficult people in your life because they're difficult. And their difficulties actually reveal something inside of you that probably needs to change, maybe even needs to die. And so this begins to play out. And in the case of Joseph and his brothers, he wasn't looking to hunt them down. How many know, when you're the prime minister of Egypt, You've got the entire Egyptian army at your disposal and you know your brothers are over in the land of Canaan. Very simple. If he wants to go find them and wipe them out, not a problem. This can be arranged. I'm sure Joseph had plenty of people that are like, hey, anything ever comes up, we'll bury the bodies. You just let us know. Just make the call, you know? Joseph's got guys like that, but he doesn't ever do that. He never does it. He's been in this position for nine years and he's not hunting anyone down. He's not creating a test and saying, let's go test them. But they come to him. And now the testing begins. I believe that scripture teaches that it was the sovereignty of God that brought Joseph into this position. I think it was also the sovereignty of God that caused the testing to unfold. Some of the brothers probably needed to have their own hearts tested to know what was in it. And certainly Joseph, they didn't know who he's dealing with. Was it the same brothers who sold him into slavery? Or maybe has something changed and there's somebody very different. I wanna look here real quick and we're gonna give you a few different ordered lists. I like ordered lists, they help me organize the way I think. So there's a handful of these in here. But we, we're gonna look first at three reasons why Joseph tested his brothers. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I'm just gonna give you three reasons. I think one reason is Joseph remembered the dream. You know, as his brothers come, the text we just read said, and he remembered the dream. Now he knows he's not 17 anymore. He knows a lot more about God now than he did then. He's not the same impetuous young uh, you know, man that he used to be. He's now a mature, wise, powerful leader. But he remembers the dream. Hmm. I remember the dream and I remember what they've done. What am I gonna do next? Number two, second reason. Joseph, I just mentioned it, wanted to make sure that his brothers had changed. I mean, through all these years, through all these years, he never forgot where he came from. He never forgot about his father. He never forgot about what they did. And he still, I believe, longed to be part of the same family. In all the things that happened to Joseph, in this lengthy story that covers chapter after chapter after chapter, we never find Joseph actually saying, I don't wanna be in that family anymore. I renounce them. They're dead to me. They sold me to slavery. I'm done with them. No, Joseph, as we talked about last week, even gave his own children Hebrew names to remind them of the family that they were still a part of. Deep down in his heart, Joseph was no Egyptian. He was still Jacob's son. But he had to be wondering, because he's a man, he's a human being. Do they still hate me? If they knew where I was today, if they knew the position I had, would they be afraid of me and want to kill me again? Have they ever truly repented to God or anyone for what they did? I mean, they can't repent to me, but they think I'm dead. So have they repented? Have they changed? Do they even want me in the family? 
if they find out that I'm still alive? So many questions. But even with so many questions remaining, number three, Joseph desired reconciliation. And part of these tests were to be able to get there. Right now I'm standing on this stage. If I wanna go sit in that chair, there's some steps I have to take. Much as I wish I was Superman and I could just fly wherever I wanna go. Much as I might wish that I could just click my heels like Dorothy and just go pop here from there. There are steps that have to be taken. You can't circumvent it. If I wanna end up in that chair and I'm starting right here, I'm gonna take two or three steps off this wood. I'm gonna take a step or two down the stairs and a few more across the concrete and then I can be at the chair. And Joseph is saying, there's some steps. There's some tests. We gotta figure some stuff out. Who are we dealing with and what are we gonna do about it? Let me read you a few more verses from where we left off. Verse 14 picks up, it says this. Then Joseph said to them, again, as I've spoken, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one from among you to go get your brother and the rest of you, buckle up, will be imprisoned so that your words can be tested to see if they are true. If they are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are all spies. So Joseph embarks on a test. Six tests of character that Joseph walks through. I'm gonna highlight what the tests are and then we're gonna look at the process that comes from them. But these are the tests and oftentimes you and me, we get tested in these exact same ways. So that's why we're studying it. Because what Joseph experienced happens to us as well. Sometimes the tests that he is giving to his brothers, they come our way too. We need another coming so we can pass them. Let me ask you a quick question. How many of you like tests? Anybody? Probably only those of you like real high IQs, you're like, take the test. Hey, look, I'm smarter than you, you like those kind of tests. But when the test comes, you know, man, you've been studying, you've been working hard, you've read all the stuff, but then when they put it in front of you, you're like, do I really know what I need to know to pass this test? You know, you start to get that little pit in your stomach, uh, kind of like when you get pulled over by the police, that's only ever happened to me, not you. None of y'all speed, none of y'all do any of that. You get that same feeling inside, oh, here's the test. Am I gonna pass the test? Well, here the tests are coming for Joseph's brothers. The first one is the humility test. They've lost their property. They've lost prosperity. They're in a land of famine. And now they are humbled. And all 10 brothers from one mother decide we have to go together. Father sends them all. All of y'all go beg for help. They used to be prosperous. Now they become beggars. And they're all having to go together. There's a humility test. Joseph didn't even set this one up. This is God's doing. You all go. They were humbled by the famine. And how many know the last place they probably wanted to go was to Egypt. Number two, there's the authority test. There's the authority test that we see here. Joseph, he rebukes them. Says that he was harsh with them. And I don't think he was overly harsh, but I, I think it was a little bit of a like, hey, what's up? Who are you? Where'd you come from? I think you're spies. And whether he really believed that or not, let's not forget. The last time he saw these jokers was when he was in the bottom of the pit and they had just thrown him in. It's a pinch benevolent just to think they're spies. I mean, there's a lot worse that they could be based on his last experience with them. So now here's the test of the authority. And like I said, sometimes, sometimes, speaking harshly, sometimes God will offend the mind to reveal the heart. Don't make that your mission, but when you're the offended one, be ready, be ready. And of course, when God reveals something inside of you that needs to change, just own it. Happens to me all the time. I have friends in my life that hold me accountable. Me and my wife had a little something going on and Daniel right here, my buddy, he sends me a text. Hey dude, just apologize. Well, you're right, I should. I've gotten pretty good at that over the years, by the way, because it happens a lot. 
I was wrong. I apologize. Please forgive me. But early on in our marriage, I didn't say that a lot. And so there was a time uh, we had been married for a few years. and There wasn't a lot of, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I apologize going on. And I, I tell my wife, something comes up. And I said, you know what? You were right. I was wrong. I apologize. Please forgive me. She said, I need somebody to get a camera. I need some lights. This is before the iPhone. I need that Sony camcorder. Get it over here. Hold on. Stand right here. Let's get the lighting good. I need a video of this because we're going to use this later. Okay, say it again. What would you say? I was what? You were right. You were what? I was wrong. You what? I apologize. Now, please forgive me. I'll think about it. I'm just kidding. She's very gracious. She'll give forgiveness immediately. But she doesn't give it until I apologize. The grace comes when we humble ourselves. And my wife, of course, is always gracious to me. The next test is the prison test. Woo, how about that? Who wants to sign up? Put me in jail for three days, no problem. I'll go do that. He throws him in jail for three days, which by the way, was the same amount of time that he spent in the bottom of a pit. He's like, y'all jokers put me in a pit. I've got a special hotel just for you. <laughs> Come hang out for a few minutes. Come say hello to my little friends. Okay, oh, he's over here. You're gonna go spend the night over here. And then there's the family test that happens as a result of this because he splits them up. They're not all going. Simeon's got to go back and retrieve Benjamin. So now he's separated them. And he's like, we're going to see what's going to happen. We're going to put a little test into the family. We're going to see and let them experience what it's like to have their family divided because of their treachery. And we'll see what happens next. Right? And then there's the honesty test. I mean, he's like, you've got another brother? Bring him. Let me see. Let's find out. Oh, your dad sent you here to get food? Not his spies? Bring the little. Because Joseph knows what they don't know. If they're up to something no good, dad's not sending the, the Benjamin. He's not sending the new favorite. He's already lost one son. He's not going to lose the next one. But he's testing them. Are you really here just to buy food? Go get your brother and bring him back. And then there's the greed test. test. There's this strange test where they come and they buy grain with silver. They pay, for the, they pay for the grain. They give them the silver. And then Joseph has them put the money back in the bag. Have you ever had a situation where you like thought you paid for something, but then you realized it didn't go through? You didn't get charged? How I many know it's a test every time? Like, oh, am I gonna pay for this? Am I not gonna pay for this? You better pay for it. Do the right thing. Joseph puts him to that kind of test. Let's see what happens. We're giving the money back. This test, this test, this test, all this testing. And it's because reconciliation is impossible without actually understanding what happened. So Joseph is trying to gain understanding. Who are my brothers now? I know who they were. By the way, that is grace to say, I'm gonna give you a chance to show me who you are now because I know who you once were. And like mama used to say, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. But he's saying, you know, maybe I'll believe that it's possible that you might have changed. But we're gonna find out before we can reconcile. And this moves us to where we have to talk about the turning points of reconciliation because there were some things that needed to take place in order for reconciliation to occur. And we learn about them right here. Let's jump in. Number one is the confession of sin. In Genesis 42, 21 says this, after they spent three days in the Egyptian prison with all of Joseph's old buddy pals that are still in jail. Then they said to each other, obviously we're being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. And this is why the trouble has come on us. They are now confessing their sins amongst one another. Whoa, we got somewhere we didn't know we, want, we were gonna be. We did not come here to end up in prison. We came to buy grain, but now that we're here, we're seeing some stuff happening. They don't know that Joseph is who he is. He's got a different name now. 
Totally different name, different outfit. He's not speaking Hebrew. He's only speaking Egyptian. They have no clue who he is, but while they're in prison, they go, man, we remember what we did. We did do something wrong. I think maybe this is why this is happening to us. There's a confession of sin. And what's interesting is they're not being reminded just about the fact that they were jealous of him. They're not being reminded just about the fact that they hated him. They're not being reminded about the fact that they plotted against him. They're not being reminded about the fact that they wanted to kill him. They're not even being reminded about the fact that they threw him into the pit. They're being reminded of his screams from the pit that they ignored. I mean, think about it. He's down there at the bottom of the pit crying out for help. Meanwhile, they got a different pit going, a pit barbecue, and they're throwing back some cold guys pretending like nothing ever happened while their brother is in the bottom of a pit screaming for help. Look at it. What does it say? Obviously, we're being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us. How many know pleading from the bottom of a pit is not like, hey guys, can you please get me out of here? It's a little tight down here. I don't, I'm, Feeling a little claustrophobic. No, he is pleading. What are you doing? You're my brothers. Why would you put me here and leave me in this pit? Somebody help, somebody get me out. Pleading, but we would not listen. And this is why the trouble has come. His cries for help have been ingrained into their minds. Now, two decades later, they're remembering, hearing the sounds and saying, this is why. The Holy Spirit is using this memory to connect their past sins with their present sufferings. And here's the the message for us. If you want things to get better, the first step is to say, I was wrong. The second turning point comes as they start to understand, number two, the cost of sin. I mean, no, sin has a price tag. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go and make you pay more than you ever thought you could pay. And they are becoming aware of the cost of sin. And Joseph has a test here, a metaphor to explain this to them along the way. On the way back home, they discover the silver in their sacks. Let me read this here. Beginning in verse 25, it says this. Joseph then gave orders to fill their containers with grain and return each man's silver to his sack and give them provisions for their journey. And the order was carried out. So you get the picture. He's got his guys. They've got all their bags. The brothers are still over here in prison. He's saying, all right, fill up their stuff. The silver they gave us to buy the grain, put that back in there too. So they loaded the grain on their donkeys and they left. At the place where they were lodged for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver there at the top of his bag. And he said to his brothers, my silver has been returned. It's here in my bag. And their hearts sank, trembling. They turned to one another and said, what has God done to us? And what's interesting about this is that this is the first time that the name God has come out of the brothers' mouths in the whole situation. Why? They don't know who put the silver in their sack. And what they do know is that if they're discovered to have the money that they just used to buy the grain and they still got it, over. We now have a problem. Things are not gonna go well for them. It is now set up to look like, to give the appearance that they had stolen back the money they used to buy the grain. And their response is, what has God done to us? How many know when you find yourself in a time of trouble, 
you cry out to God. Sometimes it's God, help me, and sometimes it's God, why are you allowing this? But when the crisis comes, oftentimes in the human condition, we finally turn to God. Why does God allow testing and trials? Because we turn to him. Does he want that? No. Does he use that and allow that? Of course, because we turn to him. When they were doing evil, they had pushed God to the brink of their consciences. And now, now, as their own story is unfolding, and now they're scared, they finally start to think about God. And it's a good thing they're thinking about him now. Because you can't have number, th- number three without this, the repentance of sin. If God's not involved, there's no real repentance. Me and you aren't capable of it. And we have to talk about repentance here for just a second. In its most basic sense, the concept of repentance is simply to change your mind. It means to think different. Repentance also means to turn and go do different. We've talked about this before. Repentance is a change of mind, but it's also an action. Let me explain to you this way. I can make a decision while I'm up here that I'm going to talk to you all. But if I don't open my mouth and start talking, what good is my decision? Have I actually even decided? Like I can say I decided. I could walk out of this room and tell somebody else, I've decided I'm gonna go in there and preach to those people. And then if I come in here and I just stand here and look at you. I'm not preaching. What kind of decision is that? Decisions require actions to sustain the fact that the decision was made at all. And this is how repentance works. This is why the Gospel of Luke tells us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is a way to keep repentance going. It's by bearing fruit. It's by taking action. So Joseph is looking for action here. He's looking for action. He says, you got to go get your brother and bring him back. And so they do. They bring Benjamin back to Egypt. There's a whole big story involved in that. You can read it in your own time. But Benjamin ends up coming back. And then they all go to a banquet together. And at the banquet, Joseph, seeing his baby brother for the first time in 20 years, becomes so overwhelmed, he just begins to weep and has to go and excuse himself to compose himself before he can come back and participate in this banquet. You ever had a moment like that? You didn't know you were gonna get overwhelmed. You just did. And then you've gotta go. The emotions are so strong, they surprise even you when they come on. Joseph's having one of those moments. But I want you to take a look at how he's arranging things as he's testing them in the banquet. Verse 32. They served him by himself, speaking of Benjamin. His brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who were eating with them by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews since that is detestable to them. They were seated before him in order of age from the firstborn to the youngest. And the men looked at each other astonished. Portions were served to them from Joseph's table, and Benjamin's portion was five times larger than any of theirs. And then they drank and became drunk with Joseph. Why'd they get drunk? I don't know. Joseph made a mistake. Here we go. He's still making mistakes, even though he's in high places. Think about this scenario for a second. You come in, you're all sitting down. You still don't know who he is. You don't know that he knows who you are. And you all, they're all just, hey, come sit here. Come, everybody come have a seat. No, no, I want you to sit here, you sit here. They sit down, they start to eat, and all of a sudden they start looking up and they're going, you see this? I mean, we're going from Reuben all the way down, and Benjamin's down here being served. We're all in order from oldest to young. How did they know? I mean, you could probably guess the oldest and the youngest, but you get in between, stuff gets a little dicey. And my brother's 10 years younger than me, but I'm way better looking than him. You might get that mixed up. 
Also, let's talk about this for a second. Is anybody missing the fact that Benjamin got five ribeyes where they're all eating a little piece of strip steak? Nobody's missing that. What's happening over here? Speaking to my little brother, 10 years younger than me, and I'm 16 years old and he's six and he gets the big five stack ribeye and I'm eating a little piece of New York strip. Uh-uh, buddy, we switching that. We're changing that up. You, got, you must've got my mom, I've made a mistake. That's my plate. My plate is now your plate and we're solving the problem. No one is missing that. Benjamin got five times more. Banquet's going on. It's all strange. We're all in order and Benjamin's getting more. What is happening? They have no context for what is happening. I think here's what's happening. He's testing them to see, are these still the same jealous rascals that threw me into a pit? What are they gonna do when they realize that Benjamin's getting special treatment? I mean, I just told you what I would have done. <laughs> but Joseph's wanna know, what are they gonna do? Their jealousy, they landed me in the bottom of a pit. Is this gonna come out? Let me just, let's just lay it out and see what happens. You ever had a, we'll just see what happens moment? Let's just see what happens here. So he puts them out and gives them opportunity. We don't find here that anybody did what I would have done. Seems like they're too worried to be jealous anymore. There's more important things at stake than stake. All right. In other words, what Joseph is looking for is number four, the proof of repentance. So the banquet's over. It's time to go back to Canaan. But before the brothers leave, Joseph does something else. He's like, hey, um, my cup that I've been drinking out of, and how many know when you're number two, you're prime minister in Egypt, your cup, probably a little nicer than all your Hebrew yes cup. They probably saw that sucker. He said, hey, take my cup and put it inside of Benjamin's bag. You know, the service guy be like, you want me to do what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put my cup in Benjamin's bag. All right, see y'all later. Off you go. And they're about halfway down Ronald Reagan, headed back to Austin. Then he tells the same servant, hey, go chase him down and accuse them of stealing my cup. You told me to put it, I know. Go chase them down and accuse them of stealing my cup. So his servant goes, finds him, accuses him. One of y'all stole the cup. We didn't steal the cup. Yes, you did. Cup's gone. We know you took it. We didn't steal it. If any of us have the cup, let that person die. Now, can we just talk for a second? I don't know why these Old Testament people are always making promises on their life. <laughs> like generally, it's probably not a good idea. Oh, I didn't say that. If I did, just kill me. <laughs> we still do it today. It's a little side note, but hey, let's find something else to, if we found it, we'll make it right. No, 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 that's not good enough. If we, if we find it, he's gonna be dead. In fact, we'll just kill him for you. So that's what they say, verse 12. So this is a test. And then of course they come and they find the cup in Benjamin's bag. What? If you know the whole story, the father did not want to send Benjamin. If something already happened to Joseph and if something happens to Benjamin, I can't take it. Judah knows this. So he launches into this speech dealing with Joseph's guy. And it's actually the longest speech recorded in the book of Genesis. So I'm not gonna read it all for you because it's really long. But I'm gonna give you the last four verses of it. It concludes like this. So if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, well, his life is wrapped up with the boy's life. So when he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy. He's saying, hey, I told dad, if I don't return him to you, I'll always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. 
Now, please, let your servant, Judah, talk about all these servants. We're talking about three different people. I know it gets confusing. Judah's saying, hey, please let me remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers, for how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. And here we see a proof, a proof of repentance in a sense, through actions, not just words. His words are, I'm not going back. His actions are, take me instead. You can have me, just send him back. We can't leave Benjamin in Egypt. It'll just be too much for dear old dad. Now they're living sacrificially. Instead of saying, oh, you can keep him. <laughs> Benjamin, we don't have the same mom as Benjamin. Who cares about Benjamin? Oh no, time has passed. The brothers have changed and the test is proving it. See, tests are not always bad. Sometimes you need to pass a test so that you can get to the next level. So even though it makes you feel some kind of way, the test itself is often the gateway to the next thing that God has for you. And this is what's going on here. Once a team of rivals have now become a band of brothers. And this leads to the reward of reconciliation. After Joseph, here's all of this. You'll give up your life for your brother. Send him take you. Here's what it says, chapter 45, verse one. Then Joseph could not control himself. Before all of those who stood by him, he cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. You ever had a shut the door meeting? It's just the family now. Get everybody else out. This is too important. So no one stayed when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. Even the, the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It's the final test. Are you really saying, if I don't send Benjamin, my father will die? Does that mean my father is still alive? Is my father still alive? He has to know, is he still alive? But his brothers could not answer for him, for they were dismayed at his presence. This is profound. Joseph, he didn't just give trust away after it was violated, but he did give his brothers a chance to earn it. And there's a lesson in that for us. There are times when a wrong is done and we have to make a decision and both parties have to make a decision. He said, ah, I don't know. Remember we talked about earlier? If Joseph wanted to go after his brothers, easy. I got a guy for that. We can make them disappear. Joseph never did that. But also, he had to know who he's dealing with. And if his brothers were not willing to confess, if they were not willing to show that they had changed, if they were not now living sacrificially, but still selfishly and jealously, I don't know what would have happened. But God and his sovereignty caused the story to unfold the way it did for a purpose. And it teaches us a few things. I wanna highlight for you quickly and then I'm done. Five things that Joseph said and what we just read. Number one, in verse four, he said, come near to me. Come near to me. Come here, come here, come here. Everybody else out. Then number two, he says, I am Joseph who you sold into slavery. Notice, he's not denying what they did and he's not rejecting them. They sold him into slavery. And he says, come closer. 
I'm the one that you sold into slavery. He tells them what they did. But then, verse five, he says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Sounds an awful lot like, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they were doing. Gives them a chance. Then he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. How powerful is that? I'm Joseph, who you sold into slavery. You know you did. But don't be distressed because God had a plan in it all along. And then verse nine, hurry up. Go tell my father. Go tell my father I am still alive. Bring him to me that I might see him. And as I read this, I can't help but think about a later time when another person would say, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to come near to me. I am Jesus that you have persecuted. But go and tell others that I'm alive. Don't be distressed or angry, Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When you enter your kingdom, remember me. I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus, even on the cross, forgiving with no even chance of restitution, much less retribution. It's already been done. But he tells the thief on the cross, I'll remember you. You know why? Because God sent me here to preserve your life. I'm laying down my life for you. And I, I'm gonna hurry to my father to prepare a place for you. It's impossible to miss what's being projected. Joseph, he was a type of a savior, imperfect. He's still getting drunk at the banquets. Jesus, in his perfection, come near to me. I've given my life for you. I have a place for you. I hold no record against you. You are forgiven. You are my own. And I go to prepare a place for you. This story shows us how it happens. But we must remember that God is not preparing a place for those who get everything right, for those who do everything perfectly, but for those who have the humility to say, God, I repent. I'm a sinner in need of salvation. Wash me with your blood. Heaven is home to the humble, not to the perfect. Bow your heads with me as we pray. God, we thank you that even in this story of Joseph, that you're projecting a greater salvation to come. And now we, with the benefit of history and looking backwards, we can see exactly how your plan unfolded. And today in this place, as we've received communion and thought about your broken body and your shed blood and we've experienced the benefit of the church that you're building, of family, your family that you are creating, of worship and the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given as a gift to us all, God, we experience all of this. And we stand humbled by your goodness, humbled by your grace. And in our humility, we say, God, we were wrong. We were the sinners but you are the savior. And we throw ourselves at your feet and beg for your mercy, knowing that you're a good God who gives good gifts and will give us the forgiveness that you've promised. And for that, we are grateful. Lord, let us hold on to it and not forget. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.